So, though, uh, you guys, man, I'm just having an awesome time going through the book of Exodus. If you guys remember last week, we, as we were covering uh, 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 the story of the children of Israel coming out of, out of Egypt, we got to, to chapter uh, 13 and 14 where finally, it's like, that's it, you know, what they've been waiting for for all these years. Finally, their, their, their exodus out of Egypt. Finally, their, their, their escape from captivity, their escape from slavery, their escape from this bondage that they've been in, you know, this harsh, uh, under this harsh hand of Pharaoh. And now they're, they're entering the promised land that God, uh, well, they're on their way to the promised land that God has for them, you know, that, that God had already uh, uh, set before them years before as he spoke to, to their forefather Abraham. But we see that as the children of Israel were exiting Egypt, you know, we see that the Lord took them out of Egypt, but they still had a lot of Egypt in them. You know, and you, you know that old saying, oh, you can take the homie out of the hood, but you can't take the hood out of the homie. <laughs> That's kind of like what it was with the children of Israel, is that they were, uh, the, the Lord took them out of, out, of, out of Egypt, you know, out of that bondage, out of that slavery. But a lot of them carried Egypt in their hearts still, you know, with their mentality, with their heart. You, uh, right away, you know, as, as they crossed the Red Sea, we saw that they began to, to complain against Moses. And, and then even more, even more deeper than that, uh, their idolatry. You guys remember that the Egypt is a place of just uh, numerous idols, numerous false gods, uh, gods with the little G instead of the big G, you know, but all, uh, uh, just a numerous amount of, of false gods and deities that the, that the Egyptians worship. And, and all, along the, the, all along the while, here's the nation of Israel, here's the people of Israel, yeah, worshiping the one true God, but at the same time, Getting kind of you know enticed by these other little gods, and actually the the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel kind of gives us a little bit of insight into the hearts of the children of Israel as they were in Egypt and as they left Egypt and as and even as they had already entered the Promised Land. And Ezekiel tells us this, and Ezekiel twenty six through eleven, uh, he records for us the rebellion of Israel, and he says this. It says it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders. Of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And then it says, Will, will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath, to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I raised my hand in an oath to them saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day, I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I had searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. Then I said to them, each of you throw away the abominations which are before his eyes and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not they did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt, but I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I had made myself known to them, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and I showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And so to, 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 to summarize what the prophet uh, Ezekiel said about the condition of the heart of the nation of Israel as they were in Egypt and as they were uh, coming out of Egypt. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel gives us a little more insight that, Mo that Moses doesn't give us. And so the prophet Ezekiel here in, in the book of Ezekiel, he tells us, that even as the children of Israel were in Egypt, that God spoke to them, I'm, I'm guessing by Moses, 
uh, that, that God spoke to them and he told them, all right, I'm going to bring you out of the land. But as, you, as I bring you out of the land, I want you to cast off all the abominations of Egypt. I want you to cast off all your little idols you know, that belong to Egypt. But he said, but they would not obey and they rebelled against me and they did not all cast off their idolatry. Meaning that even as, as they were exiting Egypt, you know, a lot of them, again, they, they had the gods of Egypt still in their hearts. And we see it plainly, you know, because later on in the story, we're going to see that as, they, as, uh, as Moses goes to inquire the, uh, of the Lord for 40 days, uh, he's gone. And, and what do the people do? They say, hey, man, there's Moses. Forget about him. And he's been gone for 40 days already. He forgot about us. He's abandoned us. Don't you? We, we got to do something for ourselves. And so what they do is that they, 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 they make a cap out of, out of all their piercings and stuff. And, they begin, and, when, and when Moses comes down the mountain, he sees them uh, uh, having drunken orgies and dancing around this golden calf, worshiping this calf. And Moses' brother Aaron says, behold, this is a God who brought you out of Egypt, this golden calf. And so we see you know, that, that, that this was the, really the condition of, of, of most of their hearts. right? And so with that, uh, we're going to get into, into chapter 15 again and just uh, keeping that in mind you know, as, as we see God deal with them. Because... And one thing that we see is just God's mercy, God's sovereignty, God's grace. Because if it was me, man, knowing that, all right, I'm going to bring these people out. They're still going to rebel against me. They're still not going to obey me. They're still gonna, not going to love me. If it was me, I would say, man, forget these guys. Right? But not so with the Lord. You know, God is merciful. And he still brought them out. And he still chose to, to fulfill his word in them. Why? Because he's the one who promised, not them. The Bible somewhere else tells us, hey, God is not like a man, you know, or like the son of man that he should lie or that he should say something and then take it back. No, if God says it, he's going to fulfill it, you know. Non-dependent on our, on our obedience or our circumstances. Because God said it, he's going to fulfill it, right? Because God promised, he's going he's to bring it to pass. And so with that, we'll get down to chapter 15, which is, uh, which is titled The Song of Moses. And this is the song of Moses, pretty much the, the, the cry of Moses' heart as they exited Egypt, as they're now, you know, into the wilderness and knowing that they're on the way to the promised land. This is, we get now just kind of this, 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 uh, this doxology, you know, which, which means, you know, this just spontaneous praise that flows out of the heart of Moses and, and of the people as they're exiting Egypt, as they're out of Egypt now. And so it goes on to say there in chapter 15, it says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang the song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Bro, can you close the window? Sorry about that. Can you close the window? For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has cast them into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them, and they sank to the bottom like a stone. I'm going to stop right there. We're just going to break it up. It, man, it, it, again, this is just the Lord. I mean, this is just that Moses just praising the Lord as, as the words are coming to his heart, as the words are coming to his thought. He's just, you know, he just, he's just saying them out loud. He's praising God before all the people, and all the people were just, again, they would praise God with them. But just, I love what uh, just got, uh, Moses' description of the, of the work of God. He says he has, he has triumphed gloriously, you know, over Egypt, over our enemies. He says, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. I love, that. I, I love the way Moses put that. Because he says, the Lord is my strength, he is my song, but he has become my salvation. And for so many of us as well, I mean, I even just reading this, I, I was thinking, man, I remember growing up, and I remember having some kind of knowledge and some kind of, you know, a, a, a understanding of, of God's presence being there. Right? I would pass by a Catholic church and I would do this real quick because I knew, all right, we're passing by a holy place. Right? We'd get into trouble or be out driving around late at night and, 
you know, we get pulled over or something crazy happens, you know, I say a quick prayer because I know, all right, I know God is somehow, you know, in this situation or, or is able to help me in this situation. So, like, I remember growing up with some type of knowledge, you know, of God or, or, or some type of understanding that, that God's presence was there. You know, and so Moses was able to say, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my song. But he says, but he has become my salvation. And, and so how God became their salvation is, is through experience. They had to experience God's salvation. You know, God's strength and, and, and God's strength was something that, that he was able to see, right? Visibly, you could see, man, God's strength, God's created, God created all these things, right? It's, it's, what, we, it's what we refer to as a general revelation or, or, or natural revelation. In theology, that's what it's called. God, God being revealed through just uh, the natural world, like you see the mountains, you know, God created that. You see, you know, the, the, the rain and the sea and all these things. And, you know, that, and it's like creation speaks of a creator, you know, and that's natural revelation. And we can say, man, I know that God exists because this, this, that, and the other, because of what I see. But then God becomes personal to us, right? And then he becomes our salvation. Moses said, and he has become my salvation. And the only way that, that, that God, that, he, that they were able to experience God as their savior, as their salvation, is by trusting him, right? Is by obeying him. By saying, all right, God said, go to Pharaoh, say this. Moses did, all right. Uh, God said, all right, take the people out, go, uh, uh, go between the, this rock, that rock, and the Red Sea. I'm going to spit the Red Sea for you. And they had to trust God, and God did. And, and God did it, right? And so for us as well, again, God becomes our salvation once we begin to, to place our trust in Him, once we, once we begin to, to obey just that little, that little small, still voice that, 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 that He speaks to us in our hearts. And as we begin to take those steps of faith, right, we, we, get, uh, we get familiar with who God is. And he becomes our salvation. Why? Because now we gain this trust between us and God. We see that he hasn't failed us. We see that, you know, his promises are, are fulfilled in our lives, just like he said they would. And he becomes our salvation, just like he did for the children of Israel. And he says, he is my God, and I will praise him. The father, my, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And then he says this, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Interesting that, that, uh, that those two words, Lord, right there, as we have it in your Bible there in verse 3, uh, they're two separate words. It says, when it says the Lord is a man of war, it means Lord. But at the, at the second one, when it says the Lord is his name, uh, the Hebrews, or the Jews, you know, uh, even to this day, I mean, they won't, whenever it comes to the name of the, of the Lord, they won't write out the name of the Lord because they, they consider something so holy that, 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 that they don't even write it out or the transliteration from the Hebrew to, to the English or the Hebrew to the Greek or the Hebrew to whatever language. So instead of, of writing uh, what it says there, which is Yahweh, they put Lord instead because they consider it so holy that they're not even worthy to write out God's name. And so it says, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. And so if you're reading in the original language, that's what it would say. It says, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. You know, and, and I love that because, again, the verse before Moses said, he has become my salvation. And as God became the salvation for the children of Israel and for Moses, they began what? Now this personal relationship. Now he's calling him by, by God, by his name. Which to the Jews, it's something that, that was just unattainable to them, right? God, for them, it's like God was way up here and they were way down here. They couldn't even come close to God. But Moses now is, is, is experiencing God, you know, in a personal relationship. And he says, he has become my salvation, you know, and Yahweh is his name. Amazing. Amazing because earlier before, you guys remember when, when God revealed himself to Moses the first time, right? He told him his name. When Moses says, well, what if they ask me who sent me? What if they ask me, you know, what if they started giving me all these questions? And what did God say? Tell him, I am who I am. I sent you. Right? He says, and I've revealed myself as I am to you. And to no other person will, will I reveal myself as I am. Later on in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus would, would use that, that, that's, that's, that same phrase, that same name. I am. 
right? And he would uh, the, the, be in danger of, 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 of being stoned to death because he used God's holy name. He associated himself with God's holy name. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And it's amazing that, that God would reveal, would reveal himself like that to Moses. And then Moses would be able to call him by his name, by Yahweh. He says, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. And, and, and I, I love how, how Moses describes the Lord there, right? The man, the Lord is a man of war. Why? Because it shows that God is fighting for us. God is really fighting for us. He is a man of war. You know, he will, he will do battle on our behalf, right? Against, against darkness, against evil forces, against Satan, against, against uh, demonic beings. He's the one who, who fights on our behalf. And so many times, I mean, man, you hear this kind of watered-down Christianity and this watered-down, you know, theology where they don't even want to uh, uh, associate God with, it, with any type of violence because God is a loving God and we're Christians and we're supposed to be loving to everybody. And, and you know, how dare you even, even think, you know, that, 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 that or pray, God, you know, uh, <laughs> strike down my enemies or something like that, right? But we see that, that those were uh, David's prayers. He would say, God, strike down my enemies. Lord, defend me. Lord, be my refuge. Lord, be my shield. Right? And, and I love this because uh, Moses describes God in, in, in that way. He says, hey, the Lord is a man of war. I mean, he fights for his people. And God has not changed. You know, and God is still fighting for his people. And sometimes we feel defeated. We feel like, man, we've got no one on our, on our corner. But it's important to, to know it. And it's important to, to, to establish this in our heart. That even if no one else is fighting for us, hey, God is a, is a God who fights for his people. And God is fighting for you. And so it goes on to say, verse 6, Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall be destroyed, shall destroy them. But yet you blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. And he says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Notice that if your Bible is like mine, it has God written with a lowercase g. You know, and again, that was the whole intent of God rescuing the children of Israel from Egypt. That was God's intent. Was what he told him from the very from the very beginning. He says, "So that Pharaoh can know, so that all of Egypt can know, so that everyone can know that I am the Lord God Almighty, right?" And and, and now you know now they're able to recognize it. Man, all those those ten plagues you know, were associated with a, with an Egyptian Egyptian deity. And now as they're coming out and as they see God's strong hand, you know, deliver them, they're able to say, "Lord, uh, who is like you among all the gods, all the little gods?" Right? You are the one true God amongst all these little gods. All the other gods are cut with lowercase g's. They're little gods. But you're the one true God. Right? And so it says, Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants like Phil- Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. He says, the mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made. 
for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And amazing that as, as, as Moses and the people, again, they're not even there yet, right? They're not even in the promised land yet. God told them, I'm going to bring you to this place which I have already established for you, which I have prepared for you. And, and, and Moses is, is, is praising the Lord and he's talking to God as, he was, as if he's already there. That's faith, you know, and, and, and us who were called to walk by faith. Right? And the Lord has promised certain things in our lives and the Lord has, has promised us that, all right, man, though right now there's suffering and, and all these things, you know, that, that there is going to be a day when, like Revelation says, that every single tear will be wiped away, right? No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more uh, suffering. Why? Because the former things will have passed away. But I, I, I just love how, how even Moses and the children of Israel, they were called to, to walk by faith, right? They had to walk by faith as they walked through, through the Red Sea and they had to walk by faith and believe God that the walls of the water were going to come and drown them as well. And now even as they're, as they're already crossed, they're, they're believing God for what he said. That our Lord, you gave us this land. Lord, the, all the people around us, all the other uh, people who, who, whom, whom's land we're going to inherit, Lord, they're going to tremble before us because of you. And so they're, he's, he's, yeah, I'm not saying he's declaring, but, but you know, he's believing God for his promises. He's believing God for, for what he said he was going to do for him. I love that. And then it goes on to say there in verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea. But the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, of Aaron took the timbrel in her hand. And all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them. And she said, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, and this is the first time that the, that the word prophetess is, is, is used. Uh, we, we've, uh, in the Bible, the, the, the Bible mentions prophets, which you know, we know as, as, as men whom, whom are spokesmen for God. But this is actually the first time in the Bible that, that, that the word prophetess is used, you know, referring to a woman as a spokesperson for God. And it's talking about Miriam, uh, 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 Moses and Aaron's sister. So Moses had a sister. Remember in the beginning of the story, uh, it was his sister who was, who was kind of running along the, the stream as Moses was, was in the little basket going down the Nile River. It was his sister who was running along, along the stream uh, following the basket. And then once the basket got into the hands of the daughter of, of Pharaoh, you know, it was his sister who went up to her and said, hey, uh, you want me to find somebody to nurse that child for you? And she took him and she took him to, her, to, to their mom and right, their mom raised him. And so here's Miriam now. The, fir- the, the first time we met, the, she's mentioned ever since the the first chapter, and, and, and the Bible calls her a prophetess, meaning that there within these couple million uh, uh, Hebrew slaves who came out of Egypt, you know, she was known as, as a spokesperson for God. We don't know into, into what depths or to what extent, but we know that, that, that God used her to speak to the people somehow, right? And we see here that, that she's leading the, the women in, 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 in song and in dance. She says, and as she was leading the women in song, she would say, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So the first mention of a prophetess. Later on in the, in the book of Judges, we're going to have another mention of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a prophetess. Um, and then, uh, which she, uh, by the name of, De- of Deborah. Of Deborah. You know, they didn't think in the, in the book of Judges. You know, and so it, it, it's amazing to see that, that again, that... that Again, a lot of people say, hey, man, the Bible is sexist, the Bible is this and that, whatever. Hey, man, it, but one thing is really into culture, but really we see that, that, that God, had, God shows no partiality. 
Right? He could use me just as much as he could use my wife. He could use my wife just as much as he could, she, uh, as he could use anybody else. Right? As long as our hearts are willing. It's not that God is, I mean, it's not that God is saying, hey, man, they're lower, you're higher, you're more important, you're less important. No. But he's created each and every one of us with a specific role. And I just love that. Way back in the Old Testament, in the second book of the Bible, you know, we, we hear about Miriam, the prophetess. Amazing. So it goes on to say, uh, there in verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of, the, of it was called Marah. Do you guys remember as we studied the, the, the book of Ruth, remember that, that Ruth's uh, mother-in-law's name was Naomi. And what happens, remember when they came back from Moab, they came back and everyone was like, hey, is that Naomi? Is that Naomi? Her name is Pleasant. You guys remember? And then as she came back, she's like, don't call me that. Don't call me Pleasant, but call me Mara. Why? Because, because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And so it, here, here's this mention of, of this word, uh, Mara, again, bitter. Mara means bitter. And so he says, hey, don't call me Pleasant. Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. Because the Lord, the Lord has dealt bitter, bitterly with me. And so I, I, we're told that as Moses now, he's bringing the people, the, he's, they're walking in the wilderness. Three days later, after God had delivered them mightily you know, from, from the Egyptians, done just this amazing work right in front of their eyes, Three days later, they're, they're, they're walking into the wilderness. And what did it say? They began to complain. So they, be, they began to complain. Why? Because there was no water to drink. This is verse 24. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And, and there he tested them and said, if you diligent heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you and they came to, to Elim where, the, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees so they camped there by the waters so I believe I just think it's amazing again as, as, uh, as Moses now is being established as this leader this leader amongst amongst the people, amongst the children of Israel. This leader amongst amongst uh, all these all these people, which number around two million. You know, here's one person. You know that God is that God took from. Hey man, he was insecure. He was unwilling. He was he was hesitant. He was resisting. Remember what, when God told me hey, you're, you're going to go to Pharaoh? What was it, what did he do? He began to give all his. His, his list of excuses. But Lord, this, this, that, that, the other. I can't speak. I'm slow of tongue. I'm not educated. Uh, right? All this. Send Moses instead. You know what? I just don't want to go. That's it. Right? And, and we see that that, that, that God was just was drawing out the, the, the man within Moses. Right? And slowly, and slowly he was just uh, giving him these little tasks. And slowly he was kind of, kind of, you know, just pouring into him. And slowly he was using him. And, and what he was doing is really that he was just molding this man. Right? And we're going to see that, that, that uh, he, he went from... Uh, leading 40 sheep in the world. Oh, I'm sorry. Leading sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. Turn around leading millions of people uh, in the wilderness for another 40 years. And we see that all that time that he spent in the wilderness with those sheep, with those animals. He, man, he didn't know that God was preparing him. You know, and while he was there, he was, he was showing them how to be a leader with hey, even the smallest. Even the, you know, the, 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 the fewest. The, even the most insignificant. And, and that speaks volumes in our lives. Because sometimes you know, we may think, man, well, I'm not doing anything significant in my life. What do I do? I go in, clock in for eight, for eight hours, come back home, and that's it, man. I'm not doing anything significant in my life. You know, but little do we know that, that God is using those things, that, those things that we may seem or we may look at as insignificant. You know, and we don't know. We can't see God's, God's bigger picture. And we don't know what it is that God is, is preparing us for. Right? But like, uh, like the Bible says, hey, man, if, if, if you're faithful in the little, you, know, you will be entrusted with, with much, with more. 
right? And one of the Old Testament prophets, he says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. Meaning, hey man, these little tasks that the Lord has given you, you know, they're for a purpose. God uses every single thing in our lives. And for Moses now, he's, he's, a, he's a leader uh, amongst millions. And as, as, that, as they began to complain to him, he did what uh, anybody should do who's in a position of authority or leadership. He went to the Lord, right? He knew that he couldn't solve the people's problems. It was beyond his control. So what does he do? He says that he cried out to the Lord. The people complained against Moses, but what, did Moses give him a solution? Did Moses uh, answer them? No, it says that he cried out to the Lord instead. And important to know, because as we're amongst our families, amongst our kids, amongst our, our, our co-workers, amongst whatever it is that God has placed you, right? These problems arise, these situations arise, and, and us, uh, specifically men, you know, we're inclined to, all right, I got to come up with a solution right now. I got to solve this. I got to, you know, I got to, I got to fix this. And, and, and really what, what the Lord is trying to do in our hearts is, is he's trying to show us how to go to him first. Lord, wisdom comes for you. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, what, 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 what is it that I should do? Right? Proverbs tells us that man, man in his heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his step. Right? And that wisdom comes from the Lord. And so I just think it's amazing you know, that the Lord, that Moses said, Lord, what do I do? Right? And so the Lord told him, right, uh, you see that tree over there? Cast it into the water and the water is going to be made sweet. And, and I love that because it speaks about another tree that later on was going was to make you know, bitterness into, into sweetness. Talking about the cross. You know, there's, a, there's a prophecy in the Old Testament that says, cursed is he who, who, who hangs on the tree. You know, meaning that it was a prophecy of, of Jesus. And if you guys know, he was, just, he was hanging on a wooden cross. You know, it's, the Bible refers to it as a tree. Because the wooden cross. And this is the sole picture of the believer right here. Right? Because here we are in our bitter, you know, godless lives. And, and it's like, and, and, and really just true sweetness in life comes when we go to the cross. It's like, man, if, we, if we're not meant to carry all these, all these things you know, on ourselves, you know, we're not meant to carry all these burdens. We're not meant to carry all these problems. We're not meant to carry all these conflicts, you know, but the Lord tells us, hey, cast your burden upon me. Why? Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right? And, and, and things get sweeter. Life gets life get sweeter as we come, you know, as, as, as we cast, you know, the, 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 as we come before the tree. Just like Moses had to cast his tree into the water and made it sweet. Hey, we cast our burdens on Jesus. Right? He makes things sweeter. Not better, but it will better, but sweeter also. It says, and there he made a statue. It says, and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. And he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. Now, interesting that this word if, here in the, depending on what, what, what version of the Bible you're reading, uh, whether it's New King James or King James or New Living Translation or whatever it is, but in the New King James, this word if, as a, as, as a, I forgot what the, the technical term for it, but it's a conditional clause. So this word if as a conditional clause, you know, appears more than 1,400 times in the Bible, here in the, in the, in the, in the New King James. And, and, and I say this because, you know, this, this, there's this whole, you know, school of thought that says, no, God has predestined your situation. God has predestined your circumstance. God has even predestined your choice. And, and even, you know, and, and if God has predestined this specific thing in your life, there's no way you could go against it. There's no, you have no, absolutely no say in it. And, and, and we, we get into this area of, 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 of talking about God, it's called a, a, a preterism where we think that every single thing is already predetermined by God and there's absolutely nothing that, that, that we can say or do in, in order to change this. Right? But yet we see in the Bible that this word if as a conditional clause is used more than 1,400 times 
You know, even, even in this situation where God says, this, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments, He says, then I will put none of the disease on you. And we see that God always gives us a choice. It's not that this is with the hand I was dealt and I have no choice and I have to just obey and I have to just deal the card that I'm dealt. No, God always gives us a choice. Right? He says, if this, then that. Right? And, and, and just like the Bible tells us about salvation, right? we have a choice in salvation as well. God, God, God does all the, the, the saving work and yeah, God sent His Son to die on the cross for us, but yet He still gives us the, the option you know, and, the, and, the, and the responsibility of choosing Him to us. Why? Because the Bible tells us this is if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, then you will be saved. Right? When Christ died on the cross, uh, the Bible tells us that He died for the whole world. But yet not the whole world is going to accept them. And, but the Bible says, whosoever will, right? If you confess with your mouth you know, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that, yeah, God, God did the main, all the work, but we take the step to believe it, to trust it, to receive it. And so I love that, again, that, that word if, that conditional clause in the Bible more than 1,400 times. And so it goes on to say there in verse 27, Then they came to Elim where, they, where there were 12 wells of water, and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. Now, there's, I know there's people who are really good at, at just uh, uh, numerology and just uh, biblical numerology and you know, studying the numbers and what different things and different numbers in the Bible means. I'm not really deep into that, but, but one thing I, I do want to point out is that interesting how it says that they came to this place, right? They were, wa- they were thirsty, there was no water. And then God led them to this place where there were 12 wells of water. Right? Interesting because there's 12 tribes of Israel. And it's like I was telling them, look, I'm going to provide for every single one of you guys. Right? Not one of you guys is going to be left without. You know, just like there's 12 tribes of Israel, hey, look, there's 12 wells. Says, and 70 palm trees. Interesting that later on in the book of Numbers, there in, in, in Numbers 11, 16, um, we see that, 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 the, that the Lord is, is, uh, is, is talking to Moses. And he, and he tells him to, to pick out 70 elders out of all the people. He says, hey, Moses, pick out uh, 70 people who, 70 elders who, who you trust so they could come before me and so they could go towards the people. There in Numbers 11, 16, he says, says this, so the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. He says, then I will come down and talk with you there. I'll take the spirit that is upon you and I will put the same spirit upon them. And they shall bear Bear the burden of the people with you that you may not bear it yourself alone. And so we see that later on, again, that the Lord calls Moses to pick out 70 you know, men of good reputation among these 70 million, or I mean, these, these couple of million uh, children of Israel, God bless, uh, the, the, who were in the wilderness. And he says, all right, uh, the Lord poured out God's Holy Spirit on these 70 men. Interesting that, uh, that later on, you know, they, they, would, they would be established what's known as, the, as the, the Council of the Sanhedrin. Amongst the Jews. And so as we, as we read in the New Testament, uh, we, we, we see the phrase Sanhedrin, uh, a scribe. These aren't terms from the, from, uh, you know, so we see that, 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 that the Sanhedrin, uh, historically, you know, it was a council of 70. 70 plus a high priest. Dating back to, to this, to, to, to where God called Moses to bring out, to choose 70 elders. And so I just think it's, it's amazing you know, how the Lord is setting this up like way before he even told them to, to set up the council way before he even told them to, to, to pick those elders. That God is, again, just, just, we see that God had a plan all along. It wasn't that he was just making it up as he goes. All right, they're in the wilderness. What do I do now? All right, boom. Uh, water in the wilderness. Oh, boom. Manna from the sky. Oh, boom. And I was like, no, God had a plan already from way before. Like, he knew what he was doing. Even though maybe they didn't 
they didn't realize it. So it says 12 wells, and again, sufficient for all the 12 tribes of Israel. It says, and 70 palm trees, so that they camped there by the waters. And so it goes on to say now in chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of, of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Man, there are two months. We're told that, 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 that they're two months out now. It's the second month now, ever since they, they, they came out. They're two months out into the wilderness, and what are they saying? Man, I wish we would have just died in Egypt. Isn't that what they said when they first uh, took steps? Uh, as soon as they crossed the, the, the Red Sea, where they said, Look, where, Moses, is there, not, was there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here into the wilderness to die? Right? Two months later, man, you would think that after, uh, after them seeing God's provision, after God, them seeing God spit the sea for them, after, after them seeing God uh, provide water for them in, the, in a dry desert, right? And after seeing, seeing God uh, uh, perform this awesome miracle of not turning the, the bitter waters into sweet, you think, man, they begin to kind of get the hang of it. All right, God's going to provide. God's going to do something. But they didn't. They didn't. It says that the whole congregation, meaning like two million people. Man, imagine having two million people complain at you. I'm at work. After I'm, I'm, I'm overseeing a few guys. And some of the guys are like, oh, man, this, oh, why we got to use this? Why do we got to do that? Why can't I work on that? I, I like working with this guy. I'm just like, oh, man, this complaining, complaining, complaining. I'm just like, just do it, man. Just do it. Right now, imagine having two million people you know, constantly, oh, it's like, dude, I go crazy, right? And so, but here's Moses. He's getting these complaints from these two million people. It says that the whole congregation of the children of Israel was complaining against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And what were they complaining about? They were saying, we want meat. We want flesh, right? First, we want water. Of course, that's, 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 that's understandable. Now they're saying, man, we want meat. We want flesh. So it's, under, it's understandable you know, that they're hungry, but at the same time, it's not that they were starving, right? Because remember, when they came out of Egypt, it says that they took all the, all the flocks, all the herds, all the livestock of all the land of Egypt with them, right? And so they're, now they're just they're complaining against, against Moses and Aaron. And it goes on to say there in verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And so, notice that the people are complaining against Moses and Aaron. But who's the one that answers? God. God's the one that answers. God hears the complaints. Right? And so he spoke to, to, to Moses, and he says, Look, I'm going to make it rain bread from heaven for you. He said, And the people shall go out, and they're going to gather a specific amount every single day. Right? And what did God say? That I may test them whether they're going to walk in my law, or not. It's all about the Lord testing them. Not because He wants them to fail, but, but because, again, He's trying to show Himself you know, uh, to them. He's trying to show Himself strong and faithful and, and as a provider to them. But we're going to see that the whole idea is for them to, 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 to believe in God. Alright, man, He's testing them. as alright, God's given them provision. And the test is to believe that God's going to continue to provide. Not just once, but, but throughout the whole journey. And so, the Lord tells Moses that He's going to make it rain bread from heaven. And that there are they are to go out and to gather a certain amount every single day. He says, but the sixth day, you're going you're gonna to gather twice as much, meaning, you know, that uh, second portion is going to be for the next day. Because we're going to see that the Lord is going to command them that the seventh day, they're to do no work. And so it goes on to say there in verse 6, 
It says, Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your, your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And so know that, that whenever, you know, specifically in ministry, you know, when you're, maybe you, one day, I don't know, I'm just saying, even if it doesn't happen, maybe one day gonna, the Lord's going to, you know, fill this place where we're going to have a lot of people <laughs> trying try to make it seem not prosperity. <laughs> one day the church is going to, maybe one day, the, you know, this place is going to be full. Maybe you're going to be overseeing uh, people in a ministry. Or maybe God is going to call you, you know, even, uh, again, to just oversee a group of believers in whatever task. No, if you ever get any complaints, they're not complaining against you. They're complaining against the Lord, right? That's what, God, that's what Moses is saying. He says, hey, man, what, are you, what do we have to do with your complaints? Your complaints aren't against us. They're against the Lord, right? He had the proper perspective because what? He recognized that he was just a voice. He was just a spokesperson. He was just the middleman, right? And, and it's easy to get to be in ministry, right? I mean, I, I, we've, I've served in bigger churches where, you know, hey, man, you're serving alongside a bunch of sinners, Right? Some of them are more sinnery than others. And some people get in the flesh and, you know, they get bitter and they get, uh, you know, they get tired and they get grumpy. And, you know, you kind of get the, the short end of the stick. And it's, it's, easy, it's easy to get bitter, you know, in those situations. But it's important to understand, hey, man, I'm just a spokesperson. I'm just a voice. I'm just God's person. He's just using me, man. Right? Your complaints aren't against me. Your problems are with me. It's with God. And so Moses told him, hey, man, what are your complaints against us? He says, the Lord has heard, has heard your complaints. That's heavy. I tell you, I was reading this, I'm like, oh man. I started thinking about all the things I'm complaining about. Oh, there's that Lord of the Parking, Lord of this, that. Like, oh man, no, the, the AC is really loud. And, 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 <laughs> and God, and, and the Lord was like, tell me, like, hey, I hear all your complaints, right? I wasn't praying those things, I was just thinking them in my head. Like, man, I, I wonder if I could find a, you know, a, a less loud AC, this, that, the other, right? And, and it's like, uh, then I started reading this and I got convicted. I thought, man, God's hearing all of my complaints, right? Instead of me being, oh, thank you, Lord, because this, Lord, thank you that. Like, oh man, I'm like, ouch. I had to kind of go like this and sink in, my, in the couch and say, sorry, Lord. Right? He hears our complaints. Kind of sobering. And so it goes on to say there, verse 9. It says, Then Moses spoke to Aaron. <laughs> I think it's loud. It says, Then Moses spoke to Aaron and he said, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Ouch. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. We don't know what that would have looked like. Maybe it was just, they, remember they had this, this pillar of cloud by day and this, and this pillar of cloud, uh, uh, this pillar of fire by night. And it says that the glory of God appeared in the cloud. Have you guys ever seen some awesome sunsets or some awesome sunrises like where the sun is, you know, beaming through the clouds and you think, man, I wonder if that's what heaven's going to look like or I wonder if that's going to look like in the rapture or, you know, start thinking of things like that. I don't know, maybe that's what the, this cloud looked like. Uh, um, when it talks about the, the glory of the Lord, it's, it, it's the word of uh, Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of the Lord, I meaning just like God's radiance, just, 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 just uh, beaming through the clouds, right? And so the children of Israel were able to see that. They saw the glory of the Lord appearing there in the cloud. And so it says in verse 11, and the, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with the bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so again, God's purpose in, in doing these things is what, is what? Is to bring them to a deeper knowledge of who He is. 
And so for us too, the Lord allows us to go through trials. The Lord allows us to go through sufferings. The Lord allows us to go through you know, moments of, 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 just a, of discomfort, whatever it may be. Why? So that we could seek Him. Right? And so, so that we can see Him you know, uh, 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 work on our behalf and so that we can know also in our lives that He is the Lord, our God. Right? That He is our provider, whether it's a, it's a problem of finances or whatever it may be. You know, so that we could come to the place in our, God, in our life where we could re- recognize, Lord, You are the Lord. You are the God. You are God. Right? And so verse 13 says, And so it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So that when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And so God promised them, All right, look, at twilight you're going to be eating meat. And then, uh, and then you're going to see, you know, I'm going to provide for you guys. You're going to see that I'm the Lord your God. And so God told Moses, I'm going to make it rain bread. And also I'm going to bring a meat. And so what the Lord did is that he caused this, this, uh, this, this uh, calls it a small round substance, as fine as frost, to just appear in the ground. And so every morning they would wake up and they would look out and they would see these little substances, little like frosty, like uh, frostiness on the, on, the, on the ground and on the, on the, on the trees and on the bushes. And, and they were to pick it every single day, whatever portion they, they needed for that day, right? And it was, and it was bread from heaven. It was, it, was, it was bread from heaven and God was providing for them in that, in that way. Now... The Bible later on in the, in, the, in the book of Numbers records for us a separate event where, where, where the Lord provided quail for them again. Because later on they're going to complain again. Like, Lord, we want more meat. Lord, we want more meat. And so there's a separate event there actually in, 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 uh, in Numbers 11 where the Lord comes down again and He provides quail for them. But this time uh, uh, in a different way. And so it says this in, in Numbers 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 31 to 34. It says, Now a wind went out from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea. And left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on, on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. And the people stayed up all that day, they stayed up all that night and all the next day and gathered the quail. And it said, he who gathered least gathered ten homers, which is, I'm not sure how much that is, but it's a lot. It says, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, he says, before they even chewed it, he says, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavah, because there they buried the people who had yielded to their craving. Now, I say that this is a separate event, because notice that here in the book of Numbers, when it talks about this event of the Lord bringing quail, it says that the, that the quail were around the camp. Actually, they were a day's journey outside of the camp. So they had a, so the Lord brought the quail, but they had a walk they had, to, they, had, they had to travel a day's journey in order to get this quail that was around the camp. But here in the book of Exodus, it says that at twilight, it says that, 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 the, that in the morning that there, was a, that there was quail, that the quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And so meaning that this first time, the quail was in the camp. So, so they were crying out for meat and God provided meat for them. They're saying, we want meat, we want flesh, right? We want to satisfy our flesh. And the Lord brought quail in the camp. Now this other time when they when they were when they were crying out for me, he says that the Lord brought the quail, but he brought it outside of the camp. So a separate time. And interesting that it says that that as as the quail came down, it says that they traveled out there, they were there all that morning, all that evening, all that night, and all the next day, gathering up the quail, and they brought it back to the camp. They began to just grub away like it was a hometown buffet, just boom. Right? And it says that that, that as they were chewing it, it says while the meat was still was still in their, in, their, in, in between their teeth, 
It says that the, the, the fury, you know, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them. And that the Lord struck them with a very great plague. Now, and it says that he called the place Kibroth Hattabah, which means uh, uh, the graves of craving or the graves of lust. Now, now you're thinking, oh, what's going on here, man? God's mean. Why, why, did, he, why did he strike them you know, as they were eating? What's so wrong with them wanting, wanting this meat? It's not, it's not so much that, that they wanted meat, but in the context, you know, the people were given over to ungodly cravings. You know, they were lusting. It says that they were lusting for this flesh, right? They, weren't, they, they, weren't, they, they were ruled by their carnal cravings and not satisfied by what the Lord had provided for them already. And it's like, Lord, I know you give us all this, right? We're not hungry. We're not in want. We're not in need. You provide everything we want. But we want more quail, right? They began to cry out against the Lord and, 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 just, and they were longing for it. They were desiring for it. It wasn't that they needed it, but they were, they were, they were uh, lusting after it. There, in the, in the book of Psalms, David actually gives us a little insight into this, into what happened that day. And he says this in Psalm 78, 27. He says, God also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl like the sand of the seas, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. So they ate and were, and were well filled, for he gave, them, he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving, but while the food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. And so we see that here, this, this perfect just a, a, a picture, right, of, 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 some, of the children of Israel. They were given over not so much to their hunger, but just to their carnal cravings, to their carnal desire. So much so that the Lord said, right, fine, you want it here. Right? And, and we can get to a point where, where, right, where, where we're giving into our carnal desire, we're giving into our carnal flesh, we're giving into the things of, of the old man, of the old person, right? Not the not the God, not the, the new the new person in us, but the things of the old man. Lord, I want this, Lord, I want that, Lord, I want those things that just satisfy my flesh. And God says, No, it's not good for you. It's gonna bring you down. And we're like, I want it, I want it, I want it. No, it's not good for you, it's gonna bring you down. And God will do whatever he can to keep you from it, but he's not gonna force us. And so for them it came to the point where God says, All right, you want me? I'm going to give you meat. You want to be given over to your lust? You want to be given over to your desires? Here you go. Have it in abundance. And it says that, that, the, that, the, that the anger of the Lord you know, was, was upon them because of that. Not because they were hungry, not because they were eating meat, but because they were given over to their carnal cravings and their carnal lust, their ungodly cravings, their ungodly you know, carnal lust. And so, again, just a way of the Lord, of the Lord dealing with the, with the people of Israel. And so it goes on to say, there in verse, uh, in verse 16, it says, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, that every man gather it according to each one's need, and omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Then the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. So when they, gathered, when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, Let no one leave any, any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it, they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so again, now the Lord is, is, is causing this, this bread to, to, to rain, to, to fall down every single morning. So man, imagine that you're, you don't have to go out and work for your food. They would wake up in the morning and, and uh, all they had to do is, is in the morning go and gather as much as they needed for, for their household for that day. They had to go out and just, all right, gather what they need. And, and, and God through Moses told them, all right, you're going to gather just what you need for that day. Make sure you don't keep any of it overnight because if you keep it overnight, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to rot. And 
sure enough, you know, the people didn't listen and they kept some of it for overnight and then they're brought in and it was bringing, it was bringing worms. Right? And so but we see that, the, that God was providing for them. He was providing for them in the wilderness. And really, you may think, well, well, what's the purpose of that? Why didn't God just make it rain 24-7 so they could just go out and eat and, 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 and you know, whenever they wanted, right? Why did they have to go out every single morning for only a, little, only a little while for that specific time? Then later on when it gets hot, it was melted, it was gone. Why couldn't they keep it overnight? Why would it rot? The whole idea here is that God wanted to meet them in a new way every single morning. They would have to wake up in the morning and think, all right, I'm trusting God to provide for me. I'm trusting that I'm going to step out of my tent and that there's going to be food there. I'm going to gather for my family for today. And I'm not going to gather more because I'm trusting God to provide for me tomorrow. I'm trusting God to show up tomorrow, just like he did today. And every single morning they would wake up and they would have to trust God to show up that morning just like he did the day before. And really what God was trying to do is that he was trying to meet them in a new way every single morning. Right? He was trying to get them to come to him every single morning. And, and you could just imagine the, 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 the faith that was building in them, the trust in God that was building in them as they trusted God to provide for them and their families every single morning. All right, Lord, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go out. I'm going to provide for my family because I know you've already provided for us. And I think you guys can kind of see where, where, where I'm going with this, you know, that, 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 that for us in our lives as well, you know, God has called us to, 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 to trust Him with our providence. Right? We think, all right, Lord, how am I going to pay the bills this, this month? How am I going to provide for my family this month? Lord, I trust you. I, I pray it. I, I trust that you're going to provide for me so I can provide for my family. Right? I'm not going to go out there and try to you know, do all kinds of things on my own and try to you know, get over my head and try to you know, go out there and hustle and do it. All right, Lord, I know that this is what you've given me. Right? You've blessed my hands. You've given me work. You've given me this, whatever. I'm going to trust you to provide for me. And, it's, and, and again, the Lord is, is, is trying to cause this dependency on us. Right, so we could depend on him every single day. All right, Lord, you're going to provide for you. You're going to provide for my family. But really, what God wants to do is that he wants to meet us. More than just provide for our needs. More than just, you know, uh, pay our bills. More than just whatever. Hey, God wants to meet us every single morning, every single day. That I wake up and I go, all right, Lord, I trust you for today. Right, and that's what he was trying to do in the, in the hearts of the people. Now, interesting that, uh, that, the, that, that the Bible calls, the Bible, that the Bible calls the scriptures the bread of life. Right, and then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But the, 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 the Bible, the, the scriptures call, call the Bible, you know, our food, our spiritual nourishment. And, and so, just like God wanted to meet these people every single morning as they went out there and they got their bread, right? So the Lord wants to meet us every single morning as well, or every single day, right? It doesn't have to be specifically in the morning, but God wants to meet us every single morning. God wants to meet us every single day afresh. And so for me personally, I get up. Uh, I don't always read right away, but I try to spend time with the Lord in the morning or some, some, sometimes throughout the day in the Bible, right, to come get my, my manna. And, 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 and the Word of God is like, is like our manna. It's like the manna that God has given us, right? And just how He told the children of Israel, hey, you can't live off of yesterday's manna. You can't live off of yesterday's Word because it's going to rot. So He's calling us to go to Him every single day for a fresh manna, right? And, and this is a good... A good uh, 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 this is a good, a good habit to have, a, a, a good, a good, you know, a good thing to have is that hey, going to Lord every single day for some fresh bread, for some fresh man. All right, Lord, I can't live off of yesterday's promises. What do you want to say to me today, Lord? What do you want to do in my life today? All right, I want some fresh man. I want to just scrape right off the ground. 
And so it was on today, verse 22. So it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread for uh, two omers for each one. Then all the rulers of the congregation came to and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay out for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till the morning and Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. That, uh, then Moses said, Each, eat that day for today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. So God told them, all right, on the sixth day, on, so on Friday evening, you're together, uh, Friday morning, you're together twice as much. Some for today and some for tomorrow. Because tomorrow, Saturday, the Sabbath, there's going to be none. Don't even bother going out there because there's not going to be any on the floor. Right? You're, you're to get enough today for, for tomorrow as well. Just on, on, from Friday to, to, to Saturday. He says, tomorrow, the Saturday, is a rest. It's a rest day for you guys. You're to do no work, but you're to just kind of chill out and just spend time with the Lord. But it says, notwithstanding, some of them went out on the seventh day together, but they found none. And just again, our, the hard-heartedness of, of us sometimes, you know, where the Lord says, all right, you go for it, but this is what's going to happen. All right, all right, I know you said this, but let me just, just in case, boom. All right, we'll come back. All right, Lord, I know you told me, but all right, this time I'll listen. And so it goes on to say, verse 20, and the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now interesting that, that, that Moses was keeping the law. Moses was obeying God. It's the people that were disobeying God. But notice what God says. God tells Moses, how long do you refuse to keep the commandments and my laws? Right? And that speaks a lot for leadership. Because me, I know that God's going to hold me accountable. God's going to hold me accountable. James, tells, James in the New Testament he says, let not many of you become teachers. Right? For there will be a stricter judgment. Meaning that God's going to hold me accountable for what I say from this pulpit. You know, and God's going to hold me accountable for uh, this church if he's placed me over as a pastor. And God's going to hold me accountable for, for what's being said. And God's going to hold me accountable for the way you were taught. You know, and God's going to hold me accountable for... And, and it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing, but also it's, uh, it's a holy thing. And also it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome thing. Right? Because I know that as long as I'm teaching God's word... I can't go wrong. Right? So there's no way I'm going to come up here and give you my own advice or my own ideas or my own experiences. Why? Because God's going to hold me accountable to this day. Notice how Moses, again, he was doing everything right. It was the people who were wrong, but yet God held him accountable. Why? Because God had placed him over these people. Right? For husbands, he's going to hold us accountable for our families, for our wives specifically. Ephesians chapter 5 uh, gives husbands specific instruction. He says, wash your, water, your wife in the water. Of the word, right? He says, he says, uh, he says, uh, uh, so that so that you may, uh, so that we may um, present her to the Lord, you know, just faultless, you know, without any spot or blemish, right? So we see that for us as husbands, God's going to hold us accountable for the condition of our wife. You know, He's going to give us this kind of this this diamond that's still got kind of rock a rock and dirt around it, and He expects us to to give him back this diamond, just shiny, you know, spotless, see through, just and all wiped down, all clean and perfect, back to Him. Right? And for us as leaders, for men and women now as, as leaders, you know, he's going to hold us accountable to that, 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 that flock that he's given us. For me as a pastor, he's going to hold me accountable for, for this church. Right? And so he addresses Moses. He says, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? 
Right? He says, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore, hey, rest on that seventh day. And he says in verse 31, And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. That sounds good. It was like wafers made with honey. So there's bread, they would go out and eat it every morning, and it tasted like, like, uh, like honey wafers. Man, imagine eating that for 40 years. That the Lord was, man, God could have given give him some, uh, something bland, like those rice cakes that have no flavor, but just, all right, you're going to survive. It's going to keep feeding you. You know, it doesn't have to taste good. You're just, you're going to survive. You know, it's going to keep you alive. But no, it says, instead he gave him something that just, that tastes delicious. It was like wafers made with honey for 40 years. It says, then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it uh, to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. And it says, Then when I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to, to be kept for your generations, as the Lord commanded Moses. So Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna forty years, until they came to an, an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. I don't know how much that is. But we're told that, that now that, that God gives Moses instructions to, to save a portion of that manna. And they were to put it, to, to keep it away later on in the book of Exodus. And, 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 and later on the, and here as, as we read, we see that, that, uh, that, that this little pot with manna in it. Notice that, that when the people of Israel, when the children of Israel got in to get it, they, could, they couldn't keep it overnight because it would rot. But this manna that, that they kept and they dedicated to the Lord, it was going to survive generations, generations. And later on, when, when the tabernacle was built, they were actually, it was going to be one of, the, one of the, the, the items that was going to be in the tabernacle, meaning in the meeting house of God, along with uh, Aaron's bud, Aaron's, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, right? And so they were to keep all these things right as a remembrance for all their generations. So as the people of Israel, new generations came up who didn't come out in the Exodus, new generations came up who didn't see the hand of God, they were to ask, what is that? What's that rod right there with little flowers on it? What's that pot with, uh, with these little wafers in it? Like, oh, let me tell you, it's when God did all these miracles for us, these plagues, these plagues in, in Egypt. He brought us up out of Egypt. You know, he split the Red Sea. All that he fed us in the wilderness for 40 years. Man, it was awesome. You should have seen it, right? And so he tells them, and the children of Israel ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. There they ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now that's significant because we see that, that manna was only meant for their time in the wilderness. Like once their wilderness experience was over with, right, no more manna, right? The manna, the feeding of, of, of manna, the giving of manna was for a specific time only for those 40 years while they were in the wilderness. But it says once they enter God's promised land, their final destination, all right, the manna was done, right? Now you're going to eat a different type of food. And so it was, it was meant only for the time they're in the wilderness, right? Until they, until they entered God's final place of rest. Interesting that later on in the book of Joshua, which records to us, when the children of Israel finally entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, it tells us this in Joshua 5.12, it says, Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. And so God kept true to His word. But more importantly, we see that when they entered into the fullness of what God had for them, they were to change their diet. I mean, alright, this food is for this season, now you enter into God's fullness. Now you know, you're to have a different type of diet, a different type of food. You're to consume a different type of food. Meaning, 
that again they were to change their diet now now they're on, moving on to strong food they had these little wafers they wafers for 40 years now as they're entering the the, the, the promised land now they're now they're going to eat meat they're going to eat you know the vegetables they're going to eat the the, the 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 food of the land you know meat and other things and so you you can, you can see it as like this manna was like the baby food for those 40 years as god was establishing them as god was teaching them as god was bringing them up he was feeding them baby food you know little by little right and so for us too while we're in the process of maturing in the Lord, the Lord feeds us this manna, you know, quote-unquote manna, right? It's just what we can handle, right? Not too much, not too more, but, but He feeds us this, this manna, right? Because He knows that He's not going to give us, you know, something that's way beyond our, our, our understanding. I listen to some guys on the radio sometimes or, or other teachers, and they're awesome Bible teachers, but they're like way too deep for me. And I can't keep up with them because they're just like, man, they're just way too eloquent, right? And it's like Jesus told, uh, Jesus told Peter, he says, hey, feed my sheep. But some, people, some ministers think, think they said, feed my giraffes, man, because they put the food so high up that it's like you can't even reach it, right? It's like, but, 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 but Jesus said, hey, feed my sheep. Meaning, hey, man, give them food that they can choose, give them food that they can eat, right? And so we see that for us, again, as we're maturing in the Lord, you know, the, the Lord feeds us with His manna. You know, he's establishing our foundation. He's, te- he's, he, he's teaching us these biblical truths and lessons that we're to be established in until we come to maturity in Him. And it's like as we, as we mature in our walks with the Lord, it's like He gives us more. You know, he gives us something deeper, nothing more to chew on. And I, I, I can think of passages or certain things in the Bible that I could read now that I remember when I first started reading the Bible. I'm like, man, what does that even mean? Like, I, I don't see how anybody could get anything out of this passage. Now I read it, I'm like, oh man, it's so awesome, man, it's so cool. And I'm like highlighting and writing things down and making little notes and writing on the side of the, of the Bible. I'm like, man, how did I not see this six years ago? But it's because as we're maturing in the Lord and, and, and we're delighting in His Word again, He's changing our diet, right? When we first came to Him, our understanding is, is, is not as deep, so He gives us just enough you know, to, to, to help us grow. Then once we're at whatever stage of maturity, and that, I'm not saying that it's a matter of years, but really it's how much time you spend with Him. And so we see that as we're maturing him, hey man, he's just, he's, he's giving us this, this, this deeper food, right? This, this, this stronger food. Paul said this to the, to the believers there at Corinth. He said this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3, as a, he was kind of upset at them because they were a, a church that was around for a long time. They had a lot of spiritual gifts. They, you know, they, they, they had done, you know, he had done a, an awesome work with them. You know, he had stayed with them for a long time. And he tells them this in 1 Corinthians uh, three, one through three says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, like, like as to babies in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like, like mere men, meaning like not even as, as spiritual men, but just regular men? Right? And, so, and so Paul had to rebuke him and say, man, look, I, I wanted to come to you and I wanted to give you some strong meats and strong biblical truths, but you can receive it because you were just too mature because, you know, you guys, you're, you're, you're still, you're still, you know, you're still drinking milk, right? You've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but you're still drinking milk and, and, and put that out into, you know, and put, put a picture to those words. Uh, when you see a newborn drinking a bottle of milk, it's fine. It's perfect, right? You know, a year old, right? They still drink, but they still drink milk. But when you see a 40-year-old man drinking out of a bottle of milk, right, it's, it's not ordinary, right? It's strange. It's weird. It's weird. And, and really, that's what, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, man, he's, it's really strange. 
And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, man, like you're you're grown. He says you're grown in the Lord, but yet I'm still feeding you with a bottle, right? Because you're not you're not mature enough to to receive these truths. Why? He says because where there's envy, where there's strife, where there's divisions among you, he says you're acting carnal. And so the church was supposed to be uh, spiritual, but yet there's all kinds of carnality just going throughout the church. And we see that today, you know, where, man, I look at somebody like, I, mean, I think, not anybody here specifically, but I think like, man, they've been walking for the Lord for a long time, but yet, I do their carnal. You know, their carnal, and you see really someone's maturity, you see how long, uh, and how, how much time someone has spent with the Lord, you know, and, and by their words, by the way they act, nothing, I mean, I'm not saying the way you dress, like that. that has nothing to do with it, but their fruit, right, their spiritual fruit. Jesus said, hey, you will know them by their fruit, right, because a good fruit gives out good, a good tree gives out good fruit. And for us as Christians, hey man, you could you could see someone's walk by, by, by the fruit they give you, right? By, by the fruit that you see when you're picking this fruit, and if it's all right, man, you know something's wrong with this guy's heart, even though he's a believer, right? And so and so Paul tells him, man, man you guys are there's this abnormal growth going on where you're you know you're old, but yet really you're like a baby, you know, as far as your spiritual maturity. So I had to feed you with the bottle, I had to feed you milk, right? Later on in Hebrews. Uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, he kind of says something, something similar along that lines as he's writing to, to, the, to the Hebrew believers there because they had their own things going on. And he tells them this, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, to those who by reason of use uh, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, and we see that that the writer of the book of Hebrews, he he's he's kind of correcting me. He's kind of kind of you know having to 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 rebuke them in a sense, not because uh, so they had a different they had a different uh, they had a different issue than than, than than the church at Corinth. You know their issue was that was that they they had been in the Lord, they had been studying the Word, they had been studying you know the things of God, but yet they 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 didn't know just the basic foundational principles of their Christian faith. Like, you know, we could say things like, hey, Jesus is God. Things like, you know, uh, salvation. Things like that. And so the, the writer of Hebrews had to, had to correct them in that area and say, hey, man, by this time, you ought to be teaching others these basic principles. But he says, no, but you need someone to teach you the first principles. You know, and, and you've come to, to need milk and not solid food. And so he's saying, you guys are learning all these things, but yet you're not, it's not setting in. He says, I've come and, I, and, I, and I've, I've taught you all the things that you know, you know, time and time again. But yet, it's not, it's something that's happening where it's, it's not settling in your heart. It's not settling in your mind. And you should be teaching the new believers these little things, these things. But yet, you need someone to teach you over and over again to feed you with that, with that milk. And so this is just an awesome encouragement for, for, for us, as well as believers. You know, again, that the Lord has called us to, 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 to what? Into maturity. Into maturity. It doesn't mean that you have to be in a specific ministry. That's not, that's, that's, that, that's way, that's beyond, that's besides the fact. But when I say spiritual maturity, I mean say our fruit with the Lord, the way we walk with the Lord, you know, our, our relationship with God as we mature in Him, right? As we, as we mature in the Lord, you know, <laughs> this fruit should show it. And one last thought, and man, I didn't realize I was going so, so late, but one last thought, and one we're here with the manna. You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 6. And because you would think, all right, well, what's the big deal of the manna? Right, but we see that everything that, 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 that the children of Israel are going to go through in the, in the wilderness, in the wilderness experience, it's a foreshadowing you know, of, of a New Testament truth. All these Old Testament principles are a foreshadowing of a New Testament truth. And so we see that this, that this manna in the Old Testament, right? because it, we see that, that, that God had to really show them this and they had, He had to establish in, in, them in, this in their heart. 
for this reason, because there's a New Testament truth to it. And Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 43. He says, as the people came down and questioned him, he had just fed uh, a bunch of people. And, and he says this to them. He says, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has, has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And he says, I am the bread of life. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're all dead. He says, but this is the bread which comes down from heaven. That if anyone may eat of it, he will not die. He says, I am that living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And then the Jews, therefore, says that they crawled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're thought, man, is Jesus promoting cannibalism? What's he saying? We have to, we have to eat his, his body? And so Jesus was saying, look, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Pointing back to, to Exodus chapter, chapter 16. He says, God, God fed them manna in the wilderness. He, he fed them bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I'm not the bread from heaven. I'm the bread of life. He says, all your fathers ate that bread, and they're dead. He says, but he who eats of, of the bread that I give, which is my own body, he says, he'll eat it, and he'll never die. And, and they, they didn't understand that he was talking about his crucifixion, his crucifixion and his resurrection, right? You see, what he's telling them is, hey, man, you take part in this, in this spiritual bread that God has given you, which is my body, which is going to be given to you. He says, you'll never die, right? Because that, that's the promise of God that, hey, man, that whosoever believes in him, you know, will not perish, but have everlasting life. In him. And he goes on to say this. So the Jews, they, they couldn't understand. They're like, man, is he telling us we got to eat his body? What's going on? And verse 53 says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father who feeds on me, he who feeds on me will live because of me. He says, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He says, he who eats this bread will live forever. Right? So we see that this, that this Old Testament story, this Old Testament application, this Old Testament you know, uh, 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 incident has a New Testament application. And so for years and years and years and years, they would, they would have this feast and they would remember how God fed them in the wilderness with the, with the manna, with the bread from heaven. And Jesus said, hey, all that that you've been celebrating for these past few hundred years, all that that happened to, to your forefathers in the, in, in the wilderness, he says, it was about me. He says, it was, a, it was a foreshadow of me. It was talking about me. He says, I'm that bread that came down from heaven to give not just life for a moment, life momentarily, right? These guys that were in the, were in the wilderness and, they, and they, they, they were, this bread sustained them while they were in the wilderness, but they eventually died. But he says, I'm the fulfillment of this, of this bread. He says, I'm the spiritual bread that if anybody feeds on me, Right? On, on, on my words, on my life, he says, they'll never die. Because I'm that true bread from heaven. They weren't able to receive that. They don't receive that when they, when they heard his words, they call him, hey, you're blaspheming against God. How dare you say that? Right? But we see again this New Testament principle. Man, Christ throughout the whole Testament. It's all about Jesus. Every single book, every single Bible, Bible verse, every single scripture, it's about Jesus. Right? This foreshadowing of this, this future ministry of Christ. Amazing. Father, thank you so much for